You know, I'm always amazed when the song just lines up with the message. Luke 17 is about some lepers, and we just talked about Jesus cleansing the leper spots. So uh, I'll take that as a divine appointment to preach from this passage. Let's pray, and then uh, I'll introduce the message today. Father God, we just thank you for the time to be here. We thank you, Lord, again for last night and for all the help you provided, and Lord, all the uh, hard work that each uh, put into to make last night just an enjoyable occasion. Lord, we just pray that uh, you were honored, that you were lifted up as being our all in all, even as we just sang. And Father, as we uh, just come to this passage today, Lord, we ask that you give us your spirit to give us understanding. Father, that you instruct us, even by your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, everybody knows that... Uh, this is a, a season, so to speak, of Thanksgiving, of being grateful. That is what it's about. And, you know, uh, Thanksgiving's not about turkeys and uh, even the, the pilgrims and all of that stuff. It's really about being thankful to God. That's what it has to do with. Uh, when they gathered together to have their feast, and by the way, last night, if you look at how many people were there, there was probably half that many at the very first Thanksgiving. And uh, I, had, I had planned to share a message yesterday, I'd asked Ricardo to do it, and uh, he actually had it prepared, but we didn't communicate throughout the week, and I had prepared one, and then when we got to talking, it seemed like the two uh, messages together would make the whole message today, so uh, with that, I'm not going to belabor it uh, any longer, but let me ask you a question this morning, okay, and this isn't, uh, you don't need to answer out loud, I want you to look deep within and answer this question for yourself. We've been singing about Jesus. We've been talking about God this morning. We've been singing about him. Uh, if I were to ask you this question this morning, are you a grateful person? Uh, just answer that to yourself. Are you somebody that uh, has a heart of gratitude and an attitude of gratitude? Is that within you? Okay? Uh, I'm not talking about merely having good manners. A lot of people have good manners. You do something, they say thank you. That's just politeness. They, they may say thank you and not actually be grateful that you did anything at all for them. Okay? We're going to see some of that in a minute in the scripture. But uh, uh, deep down, are you really a grateful person? Are you thankful uh, for what you've been given, for what you have, uh, for those that do something for you or or to you that you didn't expect? Are you grateful for that? And then here's the, the biggest question of all. Are you grateful to God? Okay? Listen to this uh, in James chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, some of you know this. You don't have to, you can turn there if you like, but it's just short verse. But we've heard it before if you've been in church. But it says this. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness. In other words, he doesn't vary in how he is. It says, uh, neither a shadow of turning. He's the Father of lights. He is light. There are no shadows with him. Okay? Uh, everything good that you have, every perfect thing that you have, it comes from him. And so, when I ask the question, are you grateful to God? 
uh, that would assume that if you are, there are times you're stopping and saying, thank you, God. And uh, there's much that we have to be thankful for. If you have a good wife, you have a good husband, you have a, a, a good and decent boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever the case may be. If your kids are good, right? Are you grateful to God? Uh, if you have a good job, a roof over your head that doesn't leak, unlike this one presently. Uh, the roof's not leaking, but we need to get, get to work on that heater. Uh, but are you grateful to God for those things? Your job, your home, food in the pantry, okay? If you have material wealth and substance, some people have more than others, okay? Are you grateful to God for what you have? The things you have, things you get to enjoy. They could be uh, some, some toys, you know, that you, you uh, maybe have a boat or a four-wheeler or something of that nature. Um, I, I said in this message that most of us uh, have even more than we need or even deserve. Most of us. Not all of us, perhaps, but uh, if you get right down to it, you have more than your basic necessities, all right? Are you giving God praise for that? Are you thankful to Him? All right? But even if you had just a little, you ought to be grateful. Even if it's just, I'm barely making it. Well, but you're making it. Are you grateful for that? Adrian Rogers used to say this all the time. He used to say, to whom little is not enough, nothing's enough. I'm like, what is he talking about? I like had to camp out on that for like a few months till it made sense. In essence, I have to put it in, you know, layman's terms. In essence, what he's saying is if a little bit's not enough for you, you don't deserve anything. You should have nothing. If you can't even appreciate the little, why should you get more, right? You're not even grateful for the start. Like, you know, kids, babies don't think about it, but they start off in diapers. They're probably grateful for that to some degree. At least you are, all right? I mean, imagine the mess you'd be cleaning up a thing to have those on. But you've got to start there, and, you know, by the time they're, they're children, they're in pants and shirts and the rest. But you've got to start somewhere. Same thing with life, okay? You don't start off with the mansion on the hill. You may get there eventually. Uh, but that's not necessarily God's plan for everybody. But you've got to appreciate what you have, all right? I heard somebody uh, describe millennials in this term that they are the entitlement generation, meaning that they believe that they are entitled to certain things. In fact, uh, I was looking at one site and it said uh, that they're, you know, what kind of uh, captures what they believe is that they're expected to, uh, re to land a job upon graduating from college. Like, that should be a given. I've just paid, you know... 60 grand for my education, maybe 70 or more, and there ought to be a job waiting for me. Uh, a lot of them are finding out that's not the case. And what they wind up with is a huge debt and a much lower paying job. Okay, they, they expect to have a certain salary or promotions or positions. I no guarantee in that. You know, that wasn't a guarantee in my day. That's not a guarantee uh, today. Uh, they, they also... Um, Assume that they'll have specific or flexible hours. I get to pick the hours I come to work. You know, if, if you're a millennial or not a millennial and you think that way, uh, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. 
that's not how the working world works. Uh, and I don't know if that's true or not. And uh, uh, I, can't, I can tell you this, though, that in my day when we were raised, uh, here were some things that we were told, okay, in our generation. Uh, no one owes you anything. Nobody owes you a thing. Uh, if you want something, you'll have to go out and earn it and work for it. Nobody's giving you a handout. That's how we were raised. And then on the last part, if you're not able to make it on the job you have with the hours you work, uh, here's a novel idea. Get another job or a second job to augment the one you got. If you can't get the hours or, you know, the, the pay you want. That's how we were raised. Now, the Bible talks about working hard. If you work hard, uh, promotion will follow. Increase will follow. Prosperity will follow if you're diligent to work hard. Okay? I'm not trying to label millennials. I think it's a terrible thing. Uh, I've met some great young people with a hard work ethic. Uh, I remember Zach at one time had two or three jobs. Uh, he, would, he would work all day as a surgical tech, and on weekends he'd pick up bussing tables at Johnny Carino's. A great example of a young man. He's a millennial or Generation Z. I don't know which he is, but he's one of those. Okay, But he didn't think anybody owed him anything. He went out and worked for it. It's like, that's, that's the way to do it. And he's gone uh, very far. Uh, so I don't like to put people in a box or label them, but I've noticed this about people in society, uh, that people in general are less grateful today. I mean, just the average person is less grateful today. Okay, they're less appreciative than three or four decades ago where thank you and please and actually, hey, wow, you did that for me. That was, that was amazing. Thank you. You know, they meant that. Um, I'm reminded of this, uh, these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. This is in 2 Timothy 3.1. But he said this, he says, This know also that in the last days, he said, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. If that's describing you, you do not have a grateful heart, you're about you, and you're number one on your list of only one, okay? Uh, he said they'll be lovers of their own self. They'll be covetous. You'll look at what other people have, and you'll desire what they got, okay? Uh, it says they'll be boasters. They'll be proud, blasphemers, speak against God. They will be disobedient to parents, Here's the one I'm looking for. They'll be unthankful. That's what the scripture says. Paul says, look, in the last day, Timothy, just know this. Perilous times are coming, and these are the things that describe those times. This is the way people will be. Unthankful. They, they're not grateful to, to man or God. They're, they're actually thinking they somehow deserve it. All right? Then he said this. They'll be unholy. The next verse has a lot more things that characterize their behavior, including lustfulness and sexual uh, immorality and the like. But those were the times that he described to Timothy. We're looking at them. And I don't know if uh, we're actually in those final last days and Jesus is coming any minute, which he could, or if things are going to get even worse than they are. I do not know. And the Bible doesn't indicate to what degree it is, but I just know that we are living in some treacherous and perilous times. 
and they're not getting better. I told that to a young man yesterday. I'm like, things are not going to get better. These are some tough times, okay? But a couple of things I want to share with you this morning, all right? Everyone at times can be ungrateful. They can feel entitled. That's not something uh, that, that just the millennial generation may feel. Uh, people in my generation, not everybody, not most people, uh, can be ungrateful. Everyone in here at some time or another has been ungrateful, generally, just unthankful. You're given stuff and you're not even appreciative of what you're given uh, and, and we don't show any thanks. They can be thankless. You ever do something for somebody? They don't so much as acknowledge that you did it. They don't say thank you. You just give them stuff. Maybe you gave them money. They just put it in their pocket and walk off. Okay, whatever. Uh, they're just thankless. As though somehow... You know, it was your, your duty to do it, all right? They, um, but but here's, here's what I want to encourage you with, okay? You, you could have been ungrateful at times. You may be, you may find that as I'm saying this, that you're ungrateful all the time. I really don't care. I, I just take whatever comes my way. I'm not grateful. But here's the thing. You can change by the grace of God, okay? You can understand where that comes from. When somebody gives you something that is God laying something on their heart and that's why they gave it to you, then you begin to look beyond the person and go, God, you are good, thank you. I, I needed that right then and somehow you called this person to do it and that's exactly what I needed, all right? I wanna show you uh, by way of Luke chapter 17 of some people that were ungrateful, generally speaking, and almost the whole lot of them except for one. And uh, we, we've seen this passage before, but it's in Luke 17, 11, and we'll read through 19, okay? It says, And it came to pass, as he, meaning Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men. What were they? Lepers. Now, let me just pause for a minute. Leprosy in the Bible is a figure or a type of sin, okay? Uh, leprosy was a skin disease whereby your nerves are damaged. It's actually a parasite. They call it Gray's disease today. But if you get this, uh, your, your skin be becomes a little gray. It starts, the nerves start dying. And because you can't feel it, you injure yourself and you get infections and your, your fingers may fall off your nose may fall off, you have all sorts of bumps and gross all over your body, and you have, uh, not trying to be gross, but you have these oozing uh, wounds all over your body, and you have to keep bandages on just to absorb all of this uh, putrid fluid that's coming off your body. Not trying to be gross, but look, God used that as a picture of sin. To him, your sin looks the way I just described leprosy to him, okay? Your sin is, is grotesque, all right? And, and it's gross, meaning there's a bunch of it, and you're dying piece by piece, and you're not even aware of it. You feel nothing, okay? So that's why leprosy is such a big deal, uh, and it could not, unlike today, be cured. 
Now today, if they catch it early, they can cure it and stop anything from happening. But if you've already lost some fingers, they may be able to arrest the symptoms and stop it. But look, you're not getting your fingers back. You're not getting your eyeballs back. Okay? It will have costed you something. So this is the story of him. He meets these ten lepers as he goes through Galilee and says, which stood afar off. Now, they're standing afar off because if you had leprosy, you tended to hang out with other lepers. You know, hey, you got some food. Somebody uh, graciously gave you some food as a donation. Can you share that with me? Uh, family members, they'd come to a certain point, leave a bag of stuff, maybe some new bandages, some clothing, and then they have to get away. The, the thing about leprosy, like sin, it's highly contagious. Like all you got to do is brush somebody with it or touch their bandages that they discarded. Boom, you got it. And now it's in you. So people feared it. In fact, when a leper had to come into town, they had to announce, unclean, unclean. And then everybody's like, ooh, make way. Get, get out of that guy's way because you don't want that. Right? We ought to do that with our sin. Unclean. Hey, hey, get out of the way. I'm a sinner here. Right? But of course, we'd all be going in different directions because that's how, that's how we are. But uh, verse 13 says, And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourself unto the priests. By the way, priests kind of acted like doctors back then. You were not deemed clean until they inspected you and made sure you really were clean. If your house had mold, black mold or some blight, you had to call the priest to come inspect the house if it was cleaned and, and make sure that there's not a speck of mold left in your house. And then they say, okay, the house is clean, you see. So they kind of acted as scientists and uh, doctors and inspectors, but... Uh, Go and show yourself unto the priest, Jesus says. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. All they did was say, Jesus, cleanse me, save me. He didn't even say, okay, done, nothing. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Look, look what happens next. It says in verse 16, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice, glorified God. Now, if leprosy is like sin, it's a picture of sin, when's the last time you looked up to God and said, thank you, Lord, for saving me? Thank you for sending your son. I was doomed. I was grotesque. And you healed me, you cleansed me. Okay? That's the picture here. He won. Look. It says, And he fell down on his face at his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. You got that? Giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. I told you a couple months back that Samaritan and Jews did not like each other. Samaritans were like half-Jews that kind of went their own way. They don't follow the religion of the Jews. Uh, you, you look in John 4, you can read about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. He was talking to this woman, and Jews had nothing to do with him. They wouldn't even talk to him. But here's a Samaritan out of the ten lepers, 
And he's the one glorifying God and falling at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. I want you to see that, okay? Because Jesus did heal him. And look what it says. It says, Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? He says, but there are not found, or there are not found that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger. The only one that came and thanked Jesus was the Samaritan who would have had nothing to do with Jesus and Jesus had nothing to do with him in Jewish culture in that day. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, look here, thy faith hath made you whole. Now if that's a picture of sin, what's going to make us whole? Faith. He didn't say, look leper, uh, if you want to get saved, I got some yard work that I need done. I wash my car, brush my horse, nothing. What saved him? His faith. Your faith has made you whole. You believed. You were crying out to God. God saved me. Did he do it? You know what? That little act of saying, I can't do this, God. I need you. I'm calling out to you. Would you save me? A lot of people can't handle that. Oh, they'll work for it. If I were to say, hey, go get two jobs and give me 60 hours a week, and in two years, I'll give you what you asked for. Oh, people are willing to do that. But when it comes to God and say, God, save me, they can't do that. They can't trust him who made everything, all right? And they won't be grateful. Now, here's some points I want to bring up. A couple of points. Here's the first one. Ingratitude, that means not being gr grateful, and discontentment is inherent in our nature. That's who we are. And I don't mean just me. I mean you too. Every last one of you, something in you is not grateful. All right? I'm going to teach you that today. Uh, take a look at Numbers chapter 11 and verse 6. We're just going to read, uh, or sorry, 11, 1 through 6. Numbers, that's uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible. <clears throat> now, now, this is important. What, what, what you need to try to do when you're reading the Scripture is you need to put yourself in the shoes of the people because that's who we are. See, in the Bible, there's God, and there's Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit, and everybody else is like us, okay? So we need to look at the attitude of the people. Well, I don't want you to say, well, they're Jews. I want you to go, no, that's just like me, okay? So it says this in verse uh, 1 of chapter 11 of Numbers. It says, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were the, uh, in the uttermost parts of the camp. So he's like, he's destroying people. Don't miss that. It says, and the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. He was literally burning them up. It says, and he called the name of that place Tiberah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. 
And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. Now look, if God's burning up people because of their sin and their complaining and their discontentment and their uh, and then they had to ask him to stop, you don't have him stop and then go to lusting, do you? Do you? No, that's what we would do. We do the same thing, remember? They're us. We're them. And it says this. It says, we remember, oh, I'm sorry, mixed multitude, they, uh, they fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again. They started crying again. It said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We want meat. We want a steak, prime rib, fillets. That's what they're saying. Now, meat in the Bible could also refer to any food, but they actually wanted meat. They cried for that several times. Maybe some fowl, you know. But he says this, look at verse 5. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. Uh, they were slaves. Um, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. That, that's their attitude. We remembered all that when we were slaves back in Egypt. We remembered they had such a great menu, right? You know what they were doing if you go back and read in Exodus? They were under the taskmaster's whip. That's what they were doing. They were being beaten to work. And what do they say to God? Oh, we remember the food. Give us meat to eat. You know, our hearts are like that. Are you ever like that? Yeah, that's, see, he's talking about us. Look at verse 6. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna, this bread from heaven that was, God was raining down in the wilderness that was keeping them fed and nourished. Oh, that's all we got is manna. Poor little us. By the way, there's another verse that, that says that God gave them the manna to prove them, to test them, to see if they would at all Obey the command of the Lord. Now, keep that in your mind. Why is he allowing this hardship on us sometimes? Why is he allowing us to go through what we're going through? He is testing you to see if you will obey him and follow him or not. Okay? Now, we have enough sense when we read this passage to realize that these children of Israel, uh, they're not, their attitude is not right before the Lord. We know it. We look at it and we... We actually agree with what I've been saying up here. Yep, they're, they're doing wrong. You got them, Pastor. Never once do we go, boy, that's just like me. I, I'm that way. I can be that way. Egypt is a picture of the world and sin, like I told you, and God has also delivered those of us who believe from bondage. We were in bondage to sin. He's delivered us who have professed Christ, who cried, hey, Lord, save even me. All right? So here's the question. Where is our thanksgiving to him? Where do we say, thank you, God? I didn't deserve to be saved, but you did it. Where is our praise? Where, when it's time to give worship or even prayer or to sit with God in fellowship and be thankful, where is that? Don't know. 
And here's the other thing. Why do we complain as though God hasn't done enough for us? Or sometimes we act like he's done nothing for us. We, we have that attitude. Like, where's my such and such? Where's my reward? Where's my promotion? When am I going to come into some real money? Success. We, we put that on God. I would submit that we're ungrateful because it's, one, our human nature to do so. And it's our tendency to complain and be ungrateful for what we have. And then we only look at what and how much we don't have. What, I want that, but I don't have that. Um, you need an attitude adjustment, all right? Here's the second thing. Even though discontentment and ingratitude is inherent, it is a great offense to God, right? We sometimes think God will put up with anything from us. We can do whatever, say whatever, complain however much we want, and God just has to take it. And in fact, somehow he owes us, and, you know, too bad for you, God, just take it. All right? First of all, I want you to see a couple of things. When we're not grateful and we complain about others, we show discontent to God. Turn out to Numbers uh, chapter 14. We'll be in verse uh, 26. Numbers 14. We'll pick it up in verse 26. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron. Are you not there yet? Okay. And the, and the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation, which murmur against me? You ever complain? Are you, do you consider yourself a infrequent complainer, a moderate complainer. I'm a heavy user. I like to complain a lot. I mean, which are you? We all complain somewhere, but where are you at? I, I, I know some, uh, some people, and, and uh, we sometimes characterize them as, uh, yeah, they'd complain if you hung them with a new rope. You know, you go buy a brand new rope to hang them with, and they're still going to complain. Uh, Nothing satisfies them. That's a terrible saying, but it's an old one. Feel free to use it. Uh, but, but he said, how long will I put up with them that murmur against me? I've, I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Now, when you complain, whether it's under your breath or even mentally, you know, if it's just mental... I think those thoughts sometimes, but I don't usually say them. Just bear in mind this. When they murmured in Jesus' presence to themselves, it said, he said, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why murmur ye amongst yourselves? Why are you thinking that? Are you not thinking evil? So even if you're just thinking it, God hears it. I just want you to know that, all right? Verse uh, 28 says this, Say unto them, God's telling Moses, Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, 
as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. That's, that's terrifying. You, know, you think about that. You complain and you say this about so-and-so and that about so-and-so. Hey, coming around your way. Have you ever noticed that? That some of the things that we do and say come back around and the same thing gets done to us? You mistreat somebody and then suddenly you find yourself being mistreated the same way? Why is that happening? That's God. Okay? You, you brought that into your own life. And then what does he say next? He says, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. Anybody older than 20? Your carcasses are going to be left in the wilderness. That's what he's telling them. Look at verse 30. Doubtless, now without a doubt, you shall not come into the land, concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Save, that means except for, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. He says, but your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, they, what they said to the Lord is, God's brought us out here so that he can make our children pray so that they could not this kind of pray, like lion versus prey, uh, to be a prey to these wicked people. They're, they're going to be eaten up. He's like, you know what, because you said that about me, basically you said I can't take care of you and these children, look at here. He says, your little ones that you said, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. So when you speak against God anything, you better be careful. He says this, But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years. That's a long time, isn't it? Forty years your children are going to wander and bear your whoredom. Hmm? until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Now, thank God we're not the children of Israel, and thank God there's grace and mercy in this day and age. Can I tell you that? Because even when we complain, even if we murmur, even if we do what's wrong, God doesn't just burn us up in the ground like he was doing to them. All right? But I do want to show you something. Uh, in one of the Corinthians books, uh, it says that these things which happened unto Israel are as an example or example unto us that we should live godly. Okay? So why did he record this? Why, why is this in our Bible? So that you could learn from the examples of Israel. Now there's a couple of things I'm going to share with you real quick, and uh, I want you to notice them. All right? When you are not content with your circumstances and complain, you are assigning blame to God, right? Just like they did, who allowed you to be in that circumstance or situation for your good. Why did he allow me to go through that? He's teaching you something. He's teaching you to trust him. He's teaching you to enter into a deeper relationship of trust with him. That's what he's doing. He's showing you that he is the provider, and you need his provision. Not just anything will do, only God's provision will do in your life. He's trying to show you that, all right? So 
uh, whether you're discontented with your spouse, your job, your boss, your circumstance, etc., when you complain about those things as a result of your discontentment, then what's happening? Uh, you are discontented with God who put you in that circumstance. Right? Is he God of all? Is he sovereign? Is he in control? He knows where you are. He's purposed for you to be there. He's trying to bring you to a place where you know him and trust him. All right? Here's the second thing. You cannot come into the promised land without trusting God. You can't do it. Now, the promised land is not a picture of heaven, so to speak. The promised land to them was going to be freedom from the bondage and slavery that they were in, and they were going to a land that was flowing with what? Milk and honey. He's like, your houses are going to already be built. I'm running those people off. I'm giving them to you. They're going to be furnished. You're going to have crops that are ready to be harvested, right? I'm going to protect you from your enemy. All you got to do is go in there and take it. I've given it to you, right? Does God want to bless his children, right? So if he's got to bring you through some hardships and you got to fight sometime to actually have those things and struggle, is it worth it? And is it prescribed? You know what he told them? Look, I'm not going to give you all the land all at once. Do you know why? Because you won't be able to take care of it all. But I'm going to give it to you bit by bit, little by little, lest you be overrun with wild animals and weeds and thorns and thistles. You can't take care of that much. So I'm going to give it to you in increments. And you're going to go in and gradually possess it. That's what he told them. You know what? You remember that commercial? Uh, one of them Siegfried and Jensen or something? It's my money, and when do I want it? And see, that sticks with you. You know, I want the whole lump sum. What they're not telling you is, you know what? We'll give you a lump sum for this amount of the take. So if you were going to get a million dollars, look, we'll give you 600000 now, but we take the rest. And they get your settlement. You understand how that works? Don't be fooled by it. That's how the lottery works. You want it lump sum, or do you want it over time? Look, I want it over time because I want all of it. If I settle and I take what's up front, then I'm not going to get all of it. See how that works? See, God wants you to get all of it, but he's not going to give it all to you today. By the way, don't go gambling and say, well, the pastor was talking about the lottery. No. We, we don't gamble. Uh, we work hard for what we get, and God will give it to us, okay? He, he's not going to bless you with the magical lottery numbers, so that, that in itself is a scam. I'm just trying to demonstrate the principle of waiting over time. All right, so you can't come into the promised land without trusting God. Uh, God did not allow them to enter the promised land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, not because he didn't want to give it to them. He didn't give it to them and bring them in there because of their murmuring and complaining, and they had a, a heart of ingratitude and discontentment. That's why they never got it. Think about it. He went in and he got them out of Egypt, and he brought them all that way only to have them say, well, God just brought us out here to kill us and our children too. 
What a slap in the face. You know, God does want to give it to you, but you're going to have to struggle along the way. There will be battles along the way you may have to fight through. And he's not going to give it to you all at once, but gradually, patiently. And you ought to be grateful all the way through. Every incremental step, all right? What happened to them? Because they're murmuring and discontentment. He let them die in the wilderness. They spent their entire lives first as slaves in Egypt. I want you to think about this. I thought about this last night. They were slaves in Egypt. They were born there. In fact, they had been there 400 years, the, the Israelites. They were slaves all their life. God steps in, sends Moses his deliverer, raises up Aaron to be his prophet, and says, all right, it's time to get out. Let's go. Ten plagues upon uh, this, this Egyptian dynasty. Okay? Took them out. I'm figuring it was anywhere from two to six million maybe. And here they are coming out. And you know what happened? Because of their murmuring, their complaining, their discontentment with God, they wound up in the wilderness 40 years and died there. Now think about that. Their whole life they went from slavery to punishment for 40 years. That's sad. You know, I've met people that complain so much, there's not a ray of sunshine in their life. You're like, but you have this and you have that, aren't you grateful? No. I don't care about that. Well, that's why you don't have anything else. That's why you're where you're at. Now, here's the third thing, and then I'm going to let Brother Ricardo come up here. But your discontentment will not only affect you, but it's going to affect your family, your spouse, and it's going to affect your children. Right? What did God tell the children of Israel, the disobedient, the discontented, the murmurers, the complainers? He says, your children, I'm going to bring them in eventually. Now, when they went in, they would have been, if you were 20 when he said that, and so he didn't destroy you in the wilderness, but you actually got to go in, do you realize 40 years later, how old are you now? 60? They went in at 60. They probably bore children in the wilderness, but they all got to go in. But look what he said. They're going to bear your whoredoms. That's your idolatry. Okay? You think that doesn't affect your children? Let, let me tell you what, what happens with people. I want you to understand this. If you're a complainer, you're not going to beget little children and raise them that are praisers of God. You're not going to have children that look at the positive side if all you do is complain. People do not do, or, or children do not do what their parents tell them to do. What? They do what you show them. Day in and day out. They become just like them. Okay? So, let me ask you this question. How many of you would complain if you knew beforehand that your children are going to suffer punishment? How many of you would do that knowing you're going to deny them 
a better life that God has for them? How many of you would? Most of us would say, I don't think I would do it. Well, here's, here's your chance to change, okay? But I would say this, and I'm going to bring Brother Ricardo up, but don't allow a spirit of discontentment and ingratitude rob you from God's goodness. Amen? Brother Ricardo, I told you that I had planned a message to uh, share, and uh, he had something that I thought, you know, that's very appropriate. And he's going to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving and why that's so necessary. But uh, Brother uh, Adon is going to translate for him. It's going to be in Greek, so... Hello. Now. Okay. <clears throat> Vamos a seguir el mismo ejemplo de los israelitas. We're, we're going to follow the same example of the Israelites. Um, after, después de, de ser liberados por el Señor. After being delivered from the Lord. Uh, tuvieron que haber pasado por una serie de dificultades. They had to go through a series of uh, difficulties to para cambiar su uh, su manera de pensar, puesto que tenían una mentalidad de esclavo. To change their their way of thinking because they had a a slave mentality. En este mismo proceso, el Señor se estaba glorificando. In this same process, the Lord was being glorified to himself. Porque glorificar significa darse a conocer. Okay. Because to, to be glorified is to make himself known. Aparentemente, los israelitas ya habían pasado cientos de años, algunos cientos de años en Egipto, y las nuevas generaciones no conocían del Señor, pero habían oído hablar de él pero no lo conocían. Okay, apparently the Israelites had spent a lot of time in in Egypt. So, um there's some generations of uh, Israelites that did not know the Lord. Amen. Entonces, uh, el propósito principal, bueno, Toda la vida es, este, es muy parecida. Los acontecimientos de la vida de todos nosotros es muy parecida a la de los israelitas. Okay, so in a way, um, our way of living and how we live our lives is pretty similar to the Israelites. We go on through life without, without not knowing the Lord. Oímos del Señor, pero no lo conocemos. We hear about the Lord, but we don't really know him. Hasta que llegamos a conocerlo. Until we come to know him. Cuando llegamos a conocerlo, llegamos muertos prácticamente. 
And when we really come to know who he is, we, we're basically dead um, until we come to know who he is. We come to him as dead people. Haber, haber soportado todas las consecuencias de nuestras decisiones sin su guianza porque no lo conocíamos. Uh, because of our disobedience and the way we live our lives um, without knowing him, that's why we're basically dead when we come to him. En este momento, nosotros recibimos gracia. And at this moment, uh, we receive grace. La gracia de vivir. The grace of living. Vivir, verdaderamente vivir. To truly live at this point. Si esto no nos vivifica, nunca vamos a ser agradecidos. If this doesn't bring us to life, then we will never be thankful. Y, gonna, y vamos a permanecer muertos. And we always, um, we're going to remain dead. Um, la historia que tenía en mente había sido de los primeros pilgrims, los, los primeros que llegaron en el Mayflower. Uh, la historia que tenía antes de, de que había pensado era la historia de los que venían en el okay. barco Mayflower. Okay, the, the first uh, story that, that I had in mind it was about the, the, the first pilgrims that came here in the Mayf Mayflower? Mayflower. Mayflower. Ellos también sufrieron muchas dificultades. They also suffered a lot of difficulties. Uh, a través de su 66 días, I think, creo. Through all that 66 days that they had trouble through the seas. Y llegaron a, a un lugar. And then came to a place. Donde estaba a punto de empezar el invierno. Where uh, winter was about to start. So, parece ser que no murieron personas durante, no estoy seguro, parece ser que no murieron personas durante el viaje. So, so uh, during the travel, no people died. Pero durante el invierno, sí. But through the winter, they did. So, al siguiente año ellos sembraron y cosecharon. So, the following year, they, they harvest. They planted, they harvest. Y a pesar de todas esas dificultades. And going through those difficulties. Todas las pérdidas de muertes de sus seres queridos. And all their loss of their loved ones. Entonces dieron gracias. Then they gave thanks. Um, los nativos, según lo que, es, lo que leí, los the nativos americanos. The, the natives, according to what I read, ellos ofrecieron cinco venados, casaron cinco venados para sus they, festividades. They um, gave or offered five deer para sus festividades. To their, to their feast. Entonces, hay mucho parecido en todas las historias de nuestras vidas. So there's a lot of similarities. In, in our lives. Porque las historias se repiten, la historia de los pilgrims y las historias de los israelitas. Because the stories uh, repeat themselves. Y uh, es la única manera de and llegar al punto de ser agradecidos después de ser quebrantados. 
and that's the only way to come to be thankful after being broken. Recibiendo esta gracia, um, by receiving grace, nosotros somos agradecidos porque we are thankful. We are thankful. Um, y después de recibir lo que no merecemos, and after receiving what we don't deserve, nosotros empezamos a darlo gratis a los demás. We start giving it freely to others. Si no lo recibimos, if we don't receive it, no podemos darlo. We can't give it. So, nuestras relaciones personales entre unos y otros, so our relationship between between each other, dependerán de haber recibido la gracia de la vida primero. It depends on first receiving God's grace. Después viene las buenas relaciones entre nosotros. And then after that, it comes a good relationships within us. Or padres, hijos, madres, fathers and sons, husbands, wives, hermanos, brothers, coworkers, coworkers. <laughs> Este mensaje es porque this message is because um, uh, agua, tuve un sueño he had a dream or I had, he had a dream hace como dos semanas about two weeks ago y el mensaje fue and the message was was uh, dar gracias to give to give thanks es el es uno de los principales fundamentos is one of the principles or the most fundamental to give thanks uh, para nuestras relaciones personales for our personal personal relationships si no hay acción de gracias no hay una relación personal con la gente if there is no thanksgiving there's no relationship with with people. Mucho menos con Dios, claro. And obviously uh, with God is even worse. Quiero terminar con un texto. I just want to finish with a text. Es Primera de Corintios 4:7, si quieren acompañarme. 1 Corinthians Español dice, ¿por qué quién te distingue o qué tienes que no hayas recibido? Y si lo recibiste, ¿por qué te glorías como si no lo hubieras recibido? Ok, si sí, ya lo leyeron en inglés. I'm, I'm sure you guys read it, read it, right? Ok. So, entonces todo lo que tenemos. So, uh, so then everything that we have, lo recibimos de Dios, como el pastor lo había dicho, toda buena dádiva viene de lo alto. We, we receive it from God. Everything comes from above. Lo más importante son las personas. But the most important thing is the, is the people that we're around, the persons. El Señor Jesús, bueno, la, el Señor dice en su palabra, 
Todas the Lord, las almas son mías. The Lord, the Lord says, all the souls are mine. Y él nos ha confiado. And, sus, and he has trusted us. Sus almas. With his, with his souls. Entonces, él nos ha rodeado de personas. So he has surrounded us with, with people, with persons. Para que nosotros tengamos cuidado de ellas. So that we may have a, or be, or care about them, all, all the people around us. Como Pedro le dijo a, no, el Señor Jesús le dijo a Pedro. Like the Lord Jesus said to Peter. Apacienta mis ovejas. Uh, Calm my, my sheep. Yeah. Feed my sheep. Todos Feed somos sheep. pastores unos de otros. So in a way we're all uh, like shepherds okay. to one another. Hermanos con hermanas, hermanos. So brothers with brothers. Niños con niños. Kids with kids. So, este es el punto, lo más importante es ser agradecidos con nosotros y, y en agradecimiento a Dios nosotros cuidamos de la gente. So we just have to be thankful and in return we have to be, um, take care of the people around us. La única manera de estar unidos That's the only way to be united. La acción de gracias viene por inspiración del Espíritu Santo. To be thanksgiving, it's by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.